0: Welcome to In Pursuit, the podcast from Glassdoor. I'm your host, Amy Elisa Jackson. In every episode, we share the real stories of extraordinary people navigating life's most pivotal moments at the intersection of the personal and the professional. In this episode, attorney Laura Bazelon shares her experience with difficult career choices. She wrote an op-ed for the New York Times titled, I've Picked My Job Over My Kids. In the article, she tells the story of being a trial lawyer on a case to free an innocent African-American man named Cash Register. He was serving a life sentence for a murder he did not commit. So Laura, his attorney, moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles to be closer to the courthouse, taking her away from her children. She's here to talk about unapologetically choosing her work over her children at times. Laura, welcome to In Pursuit. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you wrote an op-ed for the New York Times called I Picked My Job Over My Kids. This headline jumped out at me. And right now you're wincing as though you are uh, nervous about um, such a provocative headline. What really was it that provoked you to write this piece about sort of how you navigate work-life balance and whether it's even achievable?
1: I think what motivated me was I don't think that it is achievable. And I feel like so many women get that question. How do you balance your work and be the best mother you can be? Whereas men are never asked, gee, how do you balance your high-powered career and be the best dad that you can be? And it puts this pressure on women to chase after what I think of as a mirage in this kind of exhausting, sapping quest for this perfect equipoise that doesn't really exist. And so I just felt like I was calling out what so many women know in their hearts to be true.
0: I love the line that you wrote in the article that says the term work-life balance traps women in an endless cycle of shame and self-recrimination. Those are pretty strong words. What was it or was there a moment when you first felt that shame or that self-recrimination around work-life balance? Talk to me about that pivotal moment or if anything sort of jumps out where you said, oh my gosh, this is a farce. This is BS.
1: I think I first experienced it really profoundly when I was in a two-year fellowship and I was learning how to be a law professor. I had a small child and then I had another baby and I was going back to work. And I went back to work after 12 weeks because that was all the time that was given to me. And I felt that when people heard that I was coming back, relatively soon that I was putting my daughter in daycare, I got a lot of looks of, I thought, surprise and kind of judgment. Like, well, you're married to someone who works at a law firm and can't you take more time? And the truth was I couldn't. My job wouldn't let me. I would have been fired. But also I wanted to go back to work and I wanted to continue to do my job and finish my fellowship. So that's the first time I kind of felt that, that pressure and a little bit
0: of judgment. It's interesting because something that just jumped out was the fact that you wanted to go back to work. I feel like that seems to be a taboo thing, whether you're going back to work after three weeks of having a child or five months, but just that somehow motherhood flips this switch and that you no longer want to work. That is exactly right.
1: And I think a lot of women experience this where they've striven, they've achieved, and then they find a life partner and they have children. And there's this idea that somehow some switch is going to go off in their brain, and they're going to cease to want to achieve in the professional sphere and cease to be ambitious, and that actually that's something that we as a society want to encourage. And we do encourage it in the sense that we discourage women, right? We don't have paid family medical leave, and women are the primary caregivers for children. Often they're in relationships where they're the less-earning partner. And so if somebody is going to have to step back, it's usually women.
0: In the intro to the show, I mentioned that you wrote an op-ed for The New York Times titled, I've picked my job over my kids. In the article, you tell the story of being a trial lawyer on a case to free an innocent African-American man named Cash Register. Cash was serving a life sentence for a murder he didn't commit. So you moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles to be closer to the courthouse for the case, and this took you away from your children. How did you navigate that decision? One of the conversations that I had with my son, we were
1: talking about how much I was away and I said, look, Cash's mommy has been waiting for him to come home for 34 years and his mom needs him to come home and that's part of why I'm doing this. And it was a huge part because his mom, Wilma, was a force of nature and a force of life and his primary connection to the outside world. And once I met her, it became just so much more imperative to be able to bring her son back. And that was part of my kids' understanding of
0: what I was doing, that I was kind of reconnecting and re a family. That's what I was trying to do. That's so powerful that you were able to explain that to your son and that he was really able to understand that that Cash, your client, wanted to be with his mommy, and his mommy wanted (laughs) Cash to be home, and so does your your son, just making it the human experience, right, and really conveying that. I have a mother who sacrificed quite a bit to be a physician and to work really hard. And I always had to understand she's out saving lives. Like mommy is not at my soccer game or she's not at my volleyball game because she's saving lives. And I think making sure that you teach your children that is so pivotal. And I think sometimes as uh, parents try to shield their kid from what it is that they actually do, um, but you're bringing that home for them and making it very tangible for them, which is very commendable.
1: That is a really good point. I think that sometimes parents think my kids will be overwhelmed by what I do or bored by what I do, or it will somehow fracture their innocence if I tell them what I do.
0: I agree, but we totally let our fathers off the hook. It was like, oh, my dad's out, you know, saving the world and he's doing something cool and bringing home his briefcase. And with mom, it's like, oh, why aren't you available to get me ready for the, you know, for the dance or for why weren't you there? Why couldn't we talk? It's just a very interesting uh, takeaway, and it's uh, it's what's still unfortunate, I think, about being a working mother um, to have to address some of those questions and feel that guilt a little bit. But there are times when the pendulum swings the other way when you pick your kids over your job, and so you wrote in a in an op ed that you turned down an additional teaching assignment because you didn't want to lose time with your kids. What changes, and how do you how do you gauge and make those those calls as to whether or not? This is a time where mommy needs to be gone, or this is a time when mommy really needs to be there. Do you feel like your kids uh, or those around you gave you credit for that decision? Because you kind of get dinged when you do, and you get dinged when you don't, but did you get credit? I'm not sure that my kids are in the credit-giving business, <laughs> as, as kids tend
1: not to be, but I do think if I had made a different decision, they would have been upset.
0: And, and mm. you know what? Rightfully so. hmm One of the things that you sort of talk about also, uh, and I want to dig into, is this idea that you're not a normal mom. And there's a difference between normal mom and bad mom. When did you realize you weren't a normal professional mom?
1: I've never felt normal. And I'm so curious to know if women listening to this also feel the same way because in my mind, I always had this idea of what a mom was and that Mm -hmm. person was just 150% present. They were on the soccer field watching every kick. They were on the playground watching every game. And I'm the kind of mom where I'm there and then in my mind... I'm writing my closing argument or I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about this phone call or I'm remembering this list of things that has to do with work. I don't go home and forget about my job. I go home and I'm still kind of conjuring and thinking over something that happened that day. And then I tend to want to talk about things that are interesting with my kids that have to do with my job. And, And as you and I were talking about before, not a lot of parents I don't think make that choice.
0: But it's interesting because that's the intersection of the personal and the professional, right? You don't take off one hat when you're at one location and then vice versa. It's not as though when you go to your law firm or you're standing in front of your students that you're somehow not a mom and vice versa. When else in your life do you feel like that intersection between personal and professional has felt potentially as palpable as it does when you're thinking about being a professional mom and a working mom?
1: Well, I'll tell you the reverse of it, which is this past semester I taught criminal procedure, which is a class for about 70 students. It's their first year and you're teaching them kind of basics about their Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment, Sixth Amendment rights, really important stuff. And it's a podium class and you lecture for an hour and a half to two hours. So normally I turn off my phone, I put everything away, I focus on my students. And I said at the beginning of class, look, my son had an accident, he's at the doctor, we're waiting to hear us about some test results, about whether or not he has a broken bone, so I'm leaving my phone on. And if the doctor calls, I'm going to take the call and step out of the room. She didn't happen to call then, but if she had, I would have left. And I feel like I do that too, that my students have seen me in the moment struggling with childcare child care falling through, some kind of deadline getting pushed forward And me having to kind of grapple with my childcare situation, being a single mom. And so it's not like I bring it all out and overshare, but I'm very upfront about, okay, this is what it looks like when you are a working mom. Mm -hmm. This is your life. And sometimes you can't perfectly separate everything.
0: It's interesting because that's what I like to call being unapologetically authentic, bringing your full self to work and bringing your full self to whatever it is that you're doing. And so you're not sort of creating the appearance that you're not a mom or the appearance that you don't have an outside life. And I think for those who are listening, it's so important to bring your full self to work and to be okay with. Admitting to your boss or your colleagues that, hey, I have a sick parent or I have, you know, a child who needs my attention or I have a chronic illness and I need to handle that. I would imagine earlier in your career, before you were tenured, perhaps, um, it would have been a pretty daunting to sort of admit to a classroom of people that, hey, I've got to take time off or I've got to step away if I get a phone call. Was, was this a process to get to being that authentic in front of your students? It really was a
1: process, and I agree with you. I think we have this idea, particularly as women, that we have to present this front of being perfectly professional, which I think we also Mm -hmm. equate with being perfect, and that if you show any sort of vulnerability or people somehow question your commitment to what you're doing because you have to leave early to get your kid, that there's going to be a cost that you're going to have to pay for that. And it took me a while to come to the point of not wanting to apologize and not feeling like I should have to apologize, but just being really frank and upfront with my colleagues, with my bosses, with my students, this is my life. There's a lot going on. I'm doing the best I can to juggle everything. And sometimes there's going to be an imbalance and you're going to see it. And that's okay because it's more important really for you to see what's real than for you to go out into the world and have this idea that there's
0: this mirage-like existence
1: that's possible for you when that's really not. Do
0: you remember a key time or a moment that stands out in your career where you had to get real, real with your boss or your colleagues and really sit them down to say, hey, this is what's going on? So the example that I'm going to give is funny. It's in the reverse. It, it was a male
1: colleague, a single dad, and he and I were trying a case. I was twenty seven, and he was maybe forty one or forty two. And our jury was out. They, I closed. They went out at, at three thirty, and he was supposed to pick up his two young sons. And he said to the judge, "I need to leave at four thirty to go get my kids." And the judge was not having it. The judge said, "When the jury, if the jury comes back, they come back. You're coming back." And they came back after an hour, which was shocking. I mean, I. The jury is usually out for longer than that, especially after trial that long. And I remember he and I got into a huge argument walking back to court where I was just berating him for even wringing his hands over the fact that he was having this childcare issue. And ultimately, he was scrambling to find somebody to pick up his kids. And I remember in that moment feeling so unsympathetic. And and now in retrospect, I think about all of it, just how unsympathetic the judge was, what kind of situation he was in, divorced, no partner, had to rely on his mom, scrambling. And you know, he really pushed back hard against me. And I appreciate that. And I've
0: appreciated it ever since, because so many people are in that situation. It's amazing that he was actually able to model that behavior that then you adopted later on, because I think we all have moments in our careers where we wish we had done things differently, or we hold people's feet to the fire, uh, only later on to realize, wow, that That guy really had to make a tough decision, and I empathize with them, and I understand that uh, now that I'm in this position, etc. So that's an impressive learning. I feel like it's incumbent
1: on us once we're in some kind of position of power, however, relatively minor, to try to just relieve unnecessary stress for other women. So just for example, we're interviewing right now at USF for a position and we've been interviewing a number of excellent candidates and one of them wrote a general thank you note and then just said, I'm concerned that one of the questions that I asked was misinterpreted and so I just wanted to explain. And I've been in that position, really wanting a job and thinking, oh God, you know, when they asked for the question part, my question probably wasn't phrased the right way or maybe I blew it. And then you spend the whole weekend just turning it over in your mind and obsessing about it. And I could have just written back. She didn't even write it directly to me. I could have not written back, or I could have written back, thanks, it was so great. And I wrote back, nothing that you asked was problematic. You didn't ask a problematic question. We think you're an excellent candidate. Have a good weekend. Don't worry
0: about it. And she wrote back, I'm so relieved. And I wrote back, been there. That's the sisterhood of the professional network. I mean, I think there is such power in other professionals being encouraging and empathetic and sharing, because we're all in it together. We're all navigating these personal challenges while trying to succeed and climb the ladder in our careers, while trying to navigate all of the other things that life brings. It can be a real challenge to open up about your personal life. And you have authored several sort of opinion pieces about motherhood, about your work. I'm so in awe of your work, especially as it pertains to African-American women and the legal clinic for rape. That really just spoke to me. But there's so much that you write about where you put yourself out there. And that can be pretty uh, daunting. Talk to me a little bit about the feedback that you've gotten on your articles, or especially this most recent uh, one about choosing your career over kids sometimes, air quotes. <laughs> what, what's, been the, what's been the feedback? Because transparency is no joke. Transparency is no joke, and what I say
1: to my students about litigation is if you step into the arena, you should expect to get hit. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you should write a personal essay – If you think that 100% of people are going to respond and tell you how brave and eloquent you were, because that's not going to happen. People have really strong opinions about a lot of the issues that I write about divorce, work, co parenting. And so the reactions really run the gamut. And you just have to be prepared for that. And this sounds weird to say, but sort of not take it personally. The people who are writing, they don't know you. They are speaking from their own life experiences, and those vary. And that said, with this piece, I was actually pleasantly surprised because so much of the direct response that I got was overwhelmingly positive.
0: Now, is there sort of a standout anecdote or piece of feedback that you've gotten that really warmed your heart and then one that made you roll your eyes? I got a lot
1: of letters from moms and from dads about this this last one, and they were really moving. And the ones from some of the dads said I I know this double standard. I see it. I see my partner subjected to it. And I don't really feel like there's anything that I can do about it. This is kind of the way our society is. I had some women write to me and say something like, you go, girl. I'm a generation ahead of you. And I did sort of what we were talking about with our moms. I had women write to me and say, I made a different choice. And I am home, but I support what you're doing. So it wasn't sort of one particular anecdote. It was more just... This really diverse group of people responding and saying, this was my experience, and maybe I don't agree with everything that you did, but
0: it resonated with me for this reason. Was there anything that someone said that made you say, hmm, how have I approached that differently? How would I um, think about navigating my career, my professional life, et cetera? One comment that I got from a bunch of people
1: was, I hope that you don't expect your kids to visit you when you're in a nursing home. Whew. Essentially saying... You've deprioritized them. They are going to deprioritize you. And they're essentially like the Cat Stevens song about the boy and his dad going to grow up and you're going to sort of get the back of their hand and don't be surprised when that happens to you. It did really make me stop and think. I mean, I will say in my own family situation, um, one of my parents got quite sick and I dropped everything and went 3,000 miles back home and felt like I, I was as present as I could be given the distance between us. Um, But that did make me stop and think, just like in the piece I talk about these times where I feel like, am I damaging my kids? And I guess the converse of that is, is the damage going to come back to haunt you because they're disengaged from you? And I don't in my heart believe that that's true, but
0: I guess there's a tiny part of me that's fearful that it might be. That feedback can sting. That is like an ouch- that hit me in the chest in the white meat. (laughs) I know, I know. Goodness. Uh, (laughs) If you had one piece of advice for other professionals who are in very life or death type of careers, doctors, criminal justice attorneys, astronauts, you know, no matter like what it is, where a lot of people's a lot of people will be affected by their role in their professional decisions. What advice would you give them about sort of navigating this world of the personal and the professional? Any advice that you've learned or that has really helped you along your journey?
1: The advice I always tell myself is play the long game. I think with issues like child care, work-life balance, relationships, it's so easy in that moment to think, I've really messed up and everything's falling apart. I've made this horrible decision at work or at home and I'll never get past it. And the truth is, almost everything is reparable. And in the long term, if you have very specific goals and you are committed to your job and you love your children, most likely it's gonna be okay. And you just sort of have to keep your eyes on the
0: horizon even though there's a little fire in front of you that you're putting out. When you look back at your career thus far, because it's not over, What has surprised you the most about it? What
1: surprised me the most and made me the happiest is that I've been able to combine different things that I love. So I love having clients and I love going to court. And I have to tell you that I wake up a little disappointed every day if I have no one to (laughs) cross-examine. And I also love writing and teaching. And so the fact that I have a job where I get to do all three things that I get to teach and I get to teach my law students how to be lawyers by essentially having a small law firm inside the law school where we have our own clients and that my job gives me the freedom to write scholarly pieces, but also to write op-eds or to write a book. It just feels very dreamy to me. I never thought I would be able to find
0: a job that satisfied all of those parts of me. When have you felt the most in control or in the driver's seat of your career? I
1: mean, the truth is, it's now. I think once I got tenure, I realized I am probably going to be okay. I love this job. And now it's more or less permanent. And what that also means is I have room to grow in the job and there's new responsibilities I can take on. It can grow and shift. And I can't, I don't have to be afraid to ask for things like more money or a different teaching assignment. And for the first time, I think it's just this magical thing that tenure brings to you, which is a real sense of economic stability and freedom. So I, I guess I would have to say that that
0: moment is really now. Lastly, what's the best thing your kids have said to you this month? Oh, that's
1: such a good question. My daughter wrote this poem that it's called Getting Up. And she she I don't know if she wrote it for me specifically, but there are lines of it that I always say to myself. And I think that there are such important lessons in it. She's only eight and she's a really great writer. So is my son. And part of it says, if something deep and heavy is weighing you down and you fall down, get back up. If someone says something not nice to you and you think, I will never talk to this person again, think, no, I will get up and I will talk to them. And even if they push me down, I will get up again and I will try again. And I just think that that encapsulates so much of what it means to be a woman, a person in this world, which is to be resilient in the face
0: of adversity and never give up. Thank you so much, Laura Vazelon. It was fun to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to In Pursuit, the podcast from Glassdoor. This episode was produced by Lee Schneider and Allison Sullivan. Music by Epidemic Sound. Production by Red Cup Agency. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Leave us a comment or reach out on social to let us know what you think. I'm Amy Elisa Jackson, and this is In Pursuit.